Hello, I'm Professor John Grubin, Professor of Medical Oncology at Bart Cancer Institute in London, and I'm past president of EHA. Today, I'm going to talk to you about what's new in the classification of lymphoma. Now, the classification of lymphoma is as complex as these diseases are extremely heterogeneous. Optimal treatment depends on accurate diagnosis as the treatment varies with each of the entities. Was increased awareness of the um, complexity of these tumours, different classification systems appeared, each with their own advantages and disadvantage. However, this led to difficulties in interpretations, particularly for the results of clinical trials, as we could not be sure that the trials were enrolling the same distribution of different diseases. A real paradigm shift in the classifications of these classifications of the tumors came about with the publication of the revised European and American lymphoma or real classification of lymphoid neoplasms that happened in 1994 and its subsequent validation across the world in 1997. This classification provided a novel framework for recognition of individual disease entities based upon a constellation of features that we all recognize as routine today, but which were considered quite groundbreaking at the time, including morphologic interpretation by an expert hematopathologist, immune phenotype, that is the B cell or T cell with accompanying diagnostic markers, clinical presentation and genomics. This led to the publication of the WHO classification in 201, which extended the same conceptual approach, and this time extended it not just the lymphoid neoplasms, but all of the hematopoietic myeloid and lymphoid neoplasms. Now, this process was a joint effort of the Society for Hematopathology in the United States and the European Association of Hematopathology. And together with hematologists and oncologists through the Joint Clinical Advisory Committees, at which collegial discussions led to broad consensus. This classification rapidly became the international standard with publication of subsequent updates in 2008 and 2017. Now, since 2017, we've seen significant progress in the characterization of malignancies of the immune system, with many new insights provided particularly by the explosion in the genomic studies which have happened over this time. So initial planning and discussion for the current international consensus classification took place in April 2021 at the 20th meeting of the European Association of Hematopathology and Society for Hematopathology. An international committee undertook the organization of the next clinical advisory council, which was held in September 2021. The subsequent discussions included 14 working groups with broad international participation, and these are now being published in blood as the international consensus classification. Now, the definition of most entities remains unchanged, but criteria for diagnosis and recommended ancillary studies have been extensively re uh, refined. Some categories which were considered provisional in 2017 are now upgraded to definite entities. Terminology of some diseases has been revised to ad adapt nomenclature to the current knowledge of the disease, but these modifications have been restricted to well-justified situations. Now, some categories such as multiple myeloma and EBV uh, 
positive T-cell lipoproliferative disorders, particularly of children, have undergone major revisions. Major findings from recent genomic studies have had an impact on the conceptual framework of some diseases, and I'll address this shortly. So, what has changed in the classification? Well, multiple myeloma, as we all know, is a genetically heterogeneous disease, which is now defined by two main groups defined by cytogenetics. Namely, 40-50% to 50 of cases show recurrent IDH translocations with a variety of partner genes, whereas up to 55% of myelomas lack IGH translocations and are characterized by hyperdiploidy, with a small subset not falling into either category. Therefore, multiple myeloma is now formally divided into mutually exclusive diagnostic groups, multiple myeloma not otherwise uh, specified, and myeloma with recurrent genetic abnormalities, including multiple myeloma with CCND family translocations, multiple myeloma with MAF family translocations, multiple myeloma with NSD2 translocations, and M multiple myeloma with hyperdiploidy. Recognition is made of the fact that uh, detection of T414s, T1416s, as well as secondary changes, including deletions at 17P, amplification at 1Q and deletion 1P, identified patients with a high-risk disease. Large B-cell lymphoma with IRF4 rearrangement is now upgraded to a definite entity. Now, this disease is most common in children and young adults and usually has at least a partially follicular growth pattern. However, the same disease can be seen uncommonly in adults. I've just been treating such a patient. FISH for IRF4 rearrangement must be performed for diagnosis. Cases lacking demonstrable rearrangement should have evidence of either an IGH heavy or IG light breakout chain breaks. The detection of IRF4 mutation can help support the diagnosis. A diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, otherwise stated, encompasses all cases of nodal and extranodal large B-cell lymphoma that do not belong to an otherwise categorized specific diagnostic category. Now, we all know that diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, not otherwise specified, is clearly not a single disease, but a collection of morphologically, genetically, and clinically different diseases. Therefore, it can be divided into morphologic variants, phenotypic variants, and molecular or genetic categories. Now, in the new classification, the role of morphologic variants such as centroblastic, immunoblastic, and anaplastic, and phenotypic variants such as diffuse large B-cell lymphoma CD5 positive, and diffuse large B-cell lymphoma double expressor for MYC and BCL2 should be de-emphasized. These variants have at most weak adverse prognostic impact and do not reflect true biological subgroup. Now, the conference maintained the current cell of origin designation of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma not otherwise specified and said that this should be maintained. The cell of origin distinction is a basic biological di division of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma with prognostic impact that can be widely deployed using either immunohistochemistry for germinal center B-cell type and non-GCB cell type or gene expression GCB activated B-cell-like or unclassified case algorithms. However, it's recognized that the largely disappointing results of trials of upfront treatment of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma incorporating targeted agents using cell of origin for patient selection underscores the lack of sufficient detail of this almost binary classification and highlights the importance of more molecularly based approaches. Now, recent 
molecular and cytogenetic profiling studies have independently identified some five to seven new functional genetic subgroups of the fuselage B-cell lymphoma, strongly emphasizing the validity of this concept, but still failing to classify all cases. A combination of cell of origin and molecular subclassification may provide more pre uh, precise patient stratification for developing future clinical trials. So overall, cell of origin is retained for the present time into GCB, a ABC, and unclassified, with the expectation that transition to a molecular genetic translocation will be feasible in the near future. Now, high-grade B-cell lymphoma double hit now comprises two groups, uh, high-grade B-cell lymphoma with MIC and BCL2 rearrangements with or without BCL6 rearrangements, and high-grade lymphoma double hit BCL designated as high-grade lymphoma double hit BCL2, and a new provisional entity, high-grade lymphoma with MIC and BCL6 rearrangements, high-grade B-cell lymphoma double hit BCL6. Mediastinal grey zone lymphoma is now the preferred term over what was previously designated B-cell lymphoma unclassifiable with features intermediate between diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and classical Hodgkin's disease. Now on the topic of Hodgkin's disease, uh, new lymphoma terminology is warranted for nodular lymphocyte predominant Hodgkin's lymphoma based on major biologic and clinic differences with classical Hodgkin's lymphoma and a close relationship to T-cell histiocyte-rich large B-cell lymphoma. And the term nodular lymphocyte-predominant B-cell lymphoma was accepted by consensus. Now, there are changes within the T-cell lymphomas, and in particular for EBV-positive cases in children. And I advise you to read the paper for details of this, as well as the other aspects I've been discussing here today. So, where is the uh, field going now? There is a continual move, major trend towards increased use of genomics to improve the diagnosis and treatment of lymphoid malignancies. And the real value of this will be to identify those areas which are targets for therapeutic intervention as we move into an era of personalized medicine. With the introduction of large-scale molecular profiling methods and next-generation sequencing technologies, the genomic features of most lymphoid neoplasms have been characterized at an unprecedented scale. While the principles for the diagnosis for the classification and diagnosis of these disorders is founded on a multi-dimensional definition of disease entities, and that's been consolidated over the past 25 years, novel genomic data have markedly enhanced our understanding of lymphomagenesis and enriched the description of disease entities at the molecular level. Yet the current diagnosis of lymphoid tumours is still largely based on morphological assessment and immunophenotyping, with only a few entities being defined by genetic criteria. Now, there are only a few examples where specific genomic changes occur at such high frequencies they can be used in all of an entity, but examples, of course, include the BID88 mutation in lymphoplasmocytic lymphoma and BRAF mutations seen in hairy cell leukaemia. In most lymphoid neoplasms, a much more diverse pattern is observed with only a handful of variably frequent aberrations followed by a long tail of increasingly rare mutations. Despite this heterogeneous mutation landscapes between distinct diseases, there are also common themes of affected cellular processes and signaling pathways. Based upon newly acquired knowledge, clinically relevant genomic aberrations have been identified with diagnostic, prognostic, and predictive impact in different entities. 
Now, of course, it has to be recognised that not all centres have access to novel approaches such as next-generation sequencing, but it has to be recognised that this will be increasingly important in the future as these models become established in the diagnosis of lymphoma as morphology immunophenotyping genetics have been in the past. So, in summary, we all understand the importance of accurate and reproducible classifications of lymphoma. Hopefully you now understand a little bit more about the process whereby this consensus all agreed. And we all await with interest how we integrate molecular diagnostics, which I think will greatly enhance personalised medicine approaches. With that, I would like to thank you very much for your attention and bring you also to your attention that a WHO classification will emerge next year. This will take a slightly different approach and we all hope very much this will not lead over the years to two different classification systems appearing, one with increasing reliance on molecular genetics and one continuing to pay more attention to morphology. Thank you very much.